Amen. Good to see everybody here today. Nice and toasty in the sanctuary and uh, gotta love Western New York in the wintertime. Go from 60 degrees to zero in like 12 hours. Just crazy, crazy stuff. That's why we're tough. We're, we're, we're Rochester tough. Let's hashtag that. Hashtag Rochester tough. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. We're, we're finishing up a series that we started last week on looking at our church's core values. These are kind of our, our dashboard, what we look to, to keep our church going in the same direction. And I, how many of you know that when a married couple is on the same page, you can do great things, but when you're on different pages, not very good, right? It causes division within that relationship. And I believe it's the same in a church. I believe that when we focus on what God has called us to do as living word, and we jump on board with the vision that God has called us to here at living word. I believe we can do great things. And I believe that there are just four key things. We talked about two last week. We're going to talk about two this morning, but I believe there's four key things that, 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 that when we focus on these things and we keep these as our focus, it will keep us in the guardrails from going outside of those guardrails and, and, and running astray and going down a rabbit trail that God doesn't desire us to go down. And how many of you, you just have some values in your life that you stick to, that are important to you, that keep you online. Maybe it's your continual Bible reading or prayer or those things that are like, this is so valuable to me. Coming to church is a value that I have in my life that's so important. And it's interesting that, that the things that we value, we will implement our lives into those things. We will sacrifice for those things. I, I like those, I like the shows that put value on certain items. Um, I was, I like to show American Pickers and I was watching it the other day and they literally were in some, some woman's backyard digging up an old Indian motorcycle that they thought might be buried in there. Now this thing's been in there for like, I don't know, a hundred years. What is a motorcycle going to look like if it's been buried 10 feet under in the dirt for a hundred years? It's going to be a piece of rusty junk, but they, to them it's valuable. And they dug in this woman's yard all day, pulled the thing out, gave the woman $400, redid all the landscaping. And then on top of that, they found the frame of the Indian motorcycle, which they can't use or restore. On top of it, they gave her $2,000 for it. Just say they found it. Some of you are going, are you serious? No, I'm crazy. This is what people value. I, I don't know about you, but some of you are baseball card collectors and you might appreciate this. Um, there was a man who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates years ago in the early 1900s. This man's name was Johannes Peter Wagner. How many of you have ever heard of Johannes Peter Wagner? Okay, you guys that are baseball collectors, right now you're starting to salivate because his card is the holy grail of every single card. Now, I think I had his car and I used it in my bicycle to make that sound, you know, so I know I had this car. Let me show you the card. Here's the card. Some of you may know this card. There he is, dapper looking guy, right? His card sold in 2016. Are you ready? For $3.12. No, million dollars. That card right there, $3.12 million sold in 2016. The holy grail of all baseball cards. Um, if you're looking for a parking spot in Manhattan, I've got a great deal for you. Here's a parking spot in Manhattan. $1 million for that parking spot. $1 million. That's, what that, that's how valuable 
property and real estate is on the island of money-making Manhattan, right? And see, these things are available because whatever person puts a price on, these things are available. And so what I want to look at as a church is what are the things that are valuable to us as a church. And so I'll look at the first point. If you're following along in your notes, look at the first point. We will invest in what we value. So what we see valuable at Living Word is this. We looked at two things last week. We looked at being biblically based and community focused. The Bible is what we submit to and we give ultimate authority to over our lives and our church. We believe it's inerrant. It's perfect. This is what instructs us. This is what we teach from. This is what we preach from. This is what we believe God's word is to us, and it's infallible. We also want to be community focused. We care about our community and and where the Lord has placed us. We do things to reach our community, invest our community. And as I said last week, the saying that always just really uh, just impacts my heart is if our church were to cease to exist tomorrow, would anybody care? And we should care. We should not, we're not trying to win a popularity contest, but we should care about how we are making an impact in our community, reaching those with the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. And we focused on those things last week. And I want to focus on the last two today. And, and this next core value is, is something that I noticed when I first came to Living Word 18 years ago. And when I came to the church, I was looking at the things that I saw were important to, to Living Word. And one of the things that were very important to Living Word was missions. I noticed that that was at the center of the church and a very thing that was very important to them. They, you know, doing trips and supporting missionaries. I noticed this was something from reading the Constitution and bylaws, how, how this was something that was very near and dear to Living Word. And that was something that was very near and dear to my heart. And so the core value number three uh, for Living Word is to be mission-minded. Um, Living Word supports so many different missionaries near and far. And, and I believe at, at the heart of missions is, is not just supporting different, not just going on missions trips and um, looking at our community and how we can present the gospel or looking around the world. We, we understand that Jesus gave us this, this commission, not a suggestion, to go into all the world and, and to preach the gospel and, and to make disciples. But, but what, what drives us? To do that. How many of us know that you can do something and not really care about it? You can just go through the motions and do something and not really care about it. What I want to do is I want to look at a story in John chapter 4 that I believe gives the heart for missions. Now, at face value, this story doesn't really seem like a missionary story, but it is. And I want us to look at how Jesus dealt with a certain individual and how he reached out to this individual that seemed unreachable to the culture at the time. And I want to look at this because it's more than Jesus just reaching out to this individual, but Jesus wanted us to understand. He wanted us to understand something about the heart of God, which was important to him. And at that time, Jesus has his disciples with them. And so they, they could care less about Jesus reaching this individual. They just cared about what they were going through. And Jesus says something to these disciples that I believe is just incredible because he wanted to teach them something about missions and what was at the heart of missions and what's at the heart of living word and why we do missions. So let me give the background of John chapter four. I'm not going to, I'm just going to read little excerpts of it, but, but please read the whole chapter later. It's a great story. Let me give you the story of this. Jesus is traveling with his disciples from the region of Judea to the region of Galilee. So he's going from South to North And usually this is about a 40-mile journey as the crow flies, if you go straight. The problem is 
There's the region of Samaria between Judea and between the area of Galilee. And most Jews would not go through Samaria. They would actually go around Samaria, take a much longer trip to get around this area for a reason. And so Jesus is traveling. The most expedient route would be to go right through the region of Samaria. And on the surface, this would seem like a no brainer. Just go through the most direct route, but it was Samaria and strict Jews would by, bypass Samaria and go the much longer route to get to Galilee to, to, to avoid defilement, ceremonial defilement. And this is the reason why they saw the Samaritans is not fully Jew. They saw them as half Jew, half Gentile because of their ancestry. And this group was looked down upon, even looked down upon in disdain uh, by both Jews and non-Jews alike, much prejudiced against this group of people, the Samaritans. And we can trace the reason for this all the way back to 722 BC. And what happened there is, the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire came down and overtook Northern Israel through God's judgment by judging Israel's backsliding. And so what, because of their backsliding slate, God took them and brought them exiled to these foreign countries, Assyria being the first one. And then eventually in 586 BC, Babylon destroying the temple. So in 722, they would, they would, they took them captive. But what they would do is these empires many times would reestablish the land with their people. So what they did was they reestablished some of their people from Mesopotamia into this very land, which was now Samaria. And so what happens is they intermarried with some Jews and people from Mesopotamia. And so they saw this as kind of just a mixed type of, of people. And over time, what the Samaritans did, they had their own version of Judaism. They had their own temple. They had their own sacred mountain. They worshiped down. They had their own version of Jewish history. And because of this, there was tremendous amount of tension between these two groups of people. They did not like each other. And so what does Jesus do? He goes right there. He goes right into the middle of the tension. He goes, he doesn't bypass it because he looks at this as an opportunity to reach somebody. He looks at this as an op opportunity to reach someone who needs to know about the Lord. So he goes right through this region. I'm sure the disciples are wondering why he's going through this region. And they travel and they come to this place called Jacob's well to get a drink of water. And at Jacob's well, there's this woman who's drawing water. And the Samaritan woman comes and Jesus asks her, to get him a drink of water. And she, she, it surprises her because he was a Jew and usually they had no dealings with the Samaritans and she was a woman. And so there's usually no dealing or mixing between uh, these two groups of people. And Jesus purposely goes against their traditions, the social mores of the time to talk to this woman. At the time, the disciples went into town to get something to eat, something to eat for lunch. And so what Jesus does is, he uses this discussion at the well to contextualize the gospel message to this woman who seemed unreachable to this woman who was shown much prejudiced too. And so he tells her, listen, I've got living water that I can give you that you will never thirst from again. So all of a sudden there's this spiritual conversation that begins. And Jesus speaking about this is speaking about the Holy spirit that would dwell in all believers. And so what Jesus then begins to do, he begins to speak about her life. He gets real personal and he begins to, to show her things about her life. They've never met before, but he begins to tell her, listen, I know you've had five husbands and the one you live with now is not your husband. 
So she perceives Jesus to be some prophet. They begin to talk more. He begins to talk about the Messiahship. She begins to, she then goes into town and expresses who she met and who this Messiah she met, that he knew everything about her. So now this woman knows this man, not just some man, but the Messiah. And so Jesus' disciples were in town and they come back and getting something to eat. And all they're worried about is Jesus getting something to eat. They're astounded that he's talking with, talking with this woman And this is what I want you to see about this story. Why has everything to do with missions? Because what Jesus does is he begins to say something to the disciples. And I believe this is where you and I need to just perk up. And what he says is this in John 435. He says this to them. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And I tell you, open your eyes. And look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What does Jesus go to? Jesus says, forget about the food. Forget about the well. Forget about the water. This is about somebody's soul. The disciples were all distracted about just getting something to eat. They're telling Jesus, hey, have something to eat, something to eat. And Jesus says, wait a minute. I don't want you to miss something here. How many of us know we can get distracted by so many things in our life? And we forget about the souls that Jesus actually died for. Or that we may marginalize a group of people because they may not be like us or our background or whatever it may be in our lives. And we just kind of marginalize people because we don't know them. And what we can learn about missions from Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman is this. Jesus cares more about people than their background. So he's trying to, he's trying to grasp the disciples and listen, this is something important. I want you to know this is why I have come. I've come for souls, not just for Jews, but for everybody. I've come for lost people. I've come for marginalized people. This is who I came for. And so what Jesus does is he reaches across social, racial, religious, cultural lines to actually meet this woman's needs. And so what Jesus does here is he shows us that the harvest is actually ready Today, he wanted their hearts to be open and prepared every single day to reach someone with the, with the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And so he uses this encounter. He, 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 he purposely goes through this area to show the disciples something and to show us something, not only ministering to that woman, but he wanted his disciples to get the heart of the gospel message of why Christ came for people. I I love this. Um, this illustration years ago, my uh, brother and sister-in-law, Colleen is sisters with Kathleen. Mike's my brother-in-law. We were at their house for Thanksgiving years ago. And, and they used to live in Southern PA and we were, we were jogging. And this, this illustration just Mike made this great illustration while we were jogging. It's always stuck with me about the harvest field. And we were jogging and, um, Southern PA has a lot of fields. It's a very, very beautiful area. And we came to this one area where the corn had not been harvested yet. And it kind of looked like this. I got a picture. It kind of looked like this where the, you know, was the, the stalk heads were kind of bowed down. They were, they were kind of dying in the field and they, they just weren't harvested yet. And Mike made this point, which I thought was, was brilliant. Um, he said this. He says, you know, when I look at this field and I look at the stalks and I look at the tops, the corn bent over that's dying in the field, it it reminds me of people who are waiting to hear for the message of Jesus Christ. That they're in the harvest field, just waiting for us to hear. See, that was Jesus' heart. 
He saw this woman who was in the harvest field waiting to hear the message of the Savior. See, see, everything we do, the reason why we exist as a church is to reach and care for people. That's why we exist. And it, Listen, I know it's easy for us just to get caught up in all the, the rat race of our lives, right? And, and it's so easy to get distracted. We're, we're just like the disciples. We, we are in so many ways. And we just so easily get distracted. And, 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 and Jesus never wanted us to forget the reason why we're here. The reason why he saves us from our sins. It's not just so we're going to heaven, which is a wonderful benefit. But he's given us this message of hope so that the world can hear it too. And there are people in the field that are dying, waiting for that message to go. That's why, that's why we do missions. That's why we support missionaries. Because God calls us to go into the fields where people need to hear it. No matter what their background is, we don't care. And many missionaries we support are in a very hostile enemy territory. But that's where God calls us to go, isn't he? He calls us to go into the difficult areas, doesn't he? That's what he calls us to do because people desperately need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. See, we need to understand what's the purpose of studying the Bible or attending a Bible study. What's the purpose of coming to a Sunday morning service? It's wonderful to get together and to grow in our knowledge of the Lord, to get deep roots in our understanding of Jesus. It's great to come together and to worship together. All those things are great. But let me just say this. All those things should give us a greater desire to reach out to our world with the message of Jesus Christ. If it just stays with me, then we're missing something that Jesus wanted us to see. And that's what Jesus wanted the disciples to see. And so that's why for the next two weeks, you're going to hear from those who can expand our vision about the world. We'll be hearing from those who work in very hostile areas and those who work even with the persecuted church. And so I just want to encourage you just for the next couple of weeks to say, God, expand my vision and grab my heart in these things that I will have a greater calm. Because here's the thing. Um, I know we can hear from people that work all over the world, but the thing that is, is you know God grabs your heart is when you start praying for your neighbor that lives next door to you or your coworker or your family member that needs to know the Lord. That's where I want God to grab your heart. Don't forget about them. God wants to use you in your sphere of influence. And so that core value number three is so dear and near to our heart as living word is to be a mission minded church. Let me, let me jump into our last core value and our last core value um, really is based in John 13, 35, where Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by how you bicker with one another, right? By how you argue with one another how you stand for your preferences. What does it say? Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by how you what? By how you love one another. I believe this, that if we don't get this right, all the other things we do for the Lord are going to be skewed. And Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He goes, what good is it if you speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love? Basically he said this, we're nothing. Love has to be the basis of everything we do. When we are grounded in the gospel message, here's what happens. We've received God's grace, which none of us deserve it or merit it. 
And that grace overpours our lives where we thank God for his mercy and grace for saving us when we're object of his wrath. Now we, be, we become friends with God because of what Christ did for us. When we understand this grace that God has bestowed upon us, it needs not only to flow into our life, but to flow out in the way we treat other people. But I want to talk about how we treat each other in the family of God. Because this is so near and dear to my heart that this is, this is what we focus on. This is something that we strive for each and every day in our lives. And this is something that we don't lose focus on. And it's this, to be spiritually healthy. Now, what do I mean by being spiritually healthy? Here's what I mean by it. I, um, I got a, a Fitbit for Christmas. Now, here's the thing. I did not ask for a Fitbit. Kathleen just gave me one. So I think there's a hidden message behind that. I don't know if I'm getting a little bit out of shape or she, no, I, I think she just gave it to me because she thought it would be cool. And I think it's pretty cool right now. How many, how many know what a Fitbit is? Okay. Um, I'm right now. You guys want to know how many steps I'm up to today so far? Anybody care? Okay. If you, I don't care. I'm going to tell you anyways, here's how many steps I'm up to today. 4,355 steps. Last week, I went over 10,000 steps, four days. For those of you who have a Fitbit, there you go. See, the problem is I gained five pounds. So I don't know, something's wrong. I'm doing this, but I'm eating, eating more. Here's the thing that's cool about a Fitbit. What's cool about a Fitbit is this, is that it tracks your health. It shows you what your heartbeat is. It shows you when you eat too many potato chips. It shows, no, it doesn't do that. It should though. Um, it shows you all these things to keep you on track to be healthy. It tracks everything, it, your heartbeat, your steps. It, 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 it tells you when you're not moving. Like if you've been sitting too long, the thing shakes and I'm like, it says, get up you lazy butt. You know, it just tells you to get up and start, and start, and start moving. And it tracks everything. And see, healthy means this. To be spiritually healthy means we're focusing on the right things. When we as a church focus on the right things, it automatically leads to unity. And I believe when there's unity in the body, when we're focused on the same things and we care about each other and our relationships with each other, God can do great things with us and in us and for us. And so this is what we need to focus on. And this is what Jesus was showing in the teaching to the disciples in Samaria. They were distracted by the food. They were distracted by her being a Samaritan woman. But what did she need? She needed a savior. That was the most important thing. And how, we can, how, can we can, how can we get distracted as a church and actually become sick as a church? Here, here are some things that I believe that we can become sick as a church if we're not careful. And I believe it's by consuming things that aren't essential to the gospel message. If you were, if you were, if you were to read through the New Testament, many of the issues that Paul addressed to the church, many of it were just relational issues of the church just not getting along. And trying to recorrect them and show them what it means to lift each other up and to edify each other. And we're going to get into that. If a man's deep in a hole, the only way to get this man out is by giving him a rope. He's not going to get out by explaining the theory of a rope or how a rope is made or giving him a book on how to make a rope. The man needs a rope. And I believe for us to be, to remain spiritually healthy as a church and to focus on the essential things of the gospel, we have to know the difference between what is essential and what is preference in our own personal convictions. So let me, let me just dig into this just a little bit 
to help us to see this. As a church, we want to focus on essential teachings that lead people to Jesus Christ. What we want to do as a church is we want to create an atmosphere where we are more in love with Jesus than our personal preferences or our personal convictions. How many of us all know we all got a nose and we all have an opinion, don't we? We all have opinion about things could go. We all have preferences. We all have convictions and those are fine. I have my convictions. You have your convictions. Those are all fine. I'm not telling you not to have preferences. I'm not telling you not to have convictions. But how does that look in the body of Christ. That's what concerns me as your pastor. So, so hear me very clearly, clear, everyone looking up here, unplug your ears. Okay. Hear me really clearly. I'm not telling any of you not to have convictions. I'm not telling any of you to lay your convictions down or to do things that you feel the Lord doesn't want you to do. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. How does our preferences and convictions work within the body of Christ so we don't cause division within the body? And I think what happens is all of us have, you know, we all have a platform now with social media to, to, to express our opinions and our convictions and all these other things. And it can get pretty hostile and pretty wild out there and a lot of dialogue going on. But here's what I want us to focus on as a church. And Paul addresses this, how we can do this as a church so we can create an atmosphere where we're more in love with Jesus than our personal preferences. And, and, and this is... This is where I truly believe the church can become unhealthy and division can be created because we need to understand biblical truth, which is our foundation for our lives. But we need to make sure that those biblical truths are over our own personal preferences and convictions. So, so here's why this is a big deal for me for this reason. Most church disputes are not over biblical issues. Most of them just don't. Let's be honest. I've been pastoring for 28 years and what I've seen here being at 18 years and just a pastor for many, many years and just dealing with people and dealing with relationships, most of them are not because people are struggling with some biblical doctrine or issue. It comes down to our personal preferences or our convictions that someone may not see eye to eye with. And then we end up getting into disputes over that. And then we end up forming little camps, don't we, of people that are like-minded and if we're not careful as a church, it can, it can fracture our fellowship. And as a pastor, I want to do everything to keep the fellowship pure, to keep our mind on how we're ministering to one another, and how we're leading each other in edification in the Lord. That's why this is a big deal for me. And this, this goes all the way back to the first century church to today. There's no difference today from this issue of personal preferences and personal convictions. And the good news is, here's the good news. The good news is the Apostle Paul dealt with this in his letter to the Romans. This is such a good teaching because listen, whether you've been a Christian a year or you're here, you're sitting here for the first time and say, I'm not even a follower of Jesus or you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. We all struggle with this. So we, we may say, well, I'm a very mature Christian. I've seen mature, so-called mature Christians. They think they are. Sometimes they're not. But I've seen mature Christians stumble over this very issue because they don't have a correct understanding of Romans 14. And I want us to have a clear understanding of Romans 14 when it deals with the body of Christ and me being your pastor, okay? I want to make sure that our fellowship is headed in the right way. I want to make sure that our fellowship is in the direction that God wants to take us so that we're doing all we can to minister to each other so that we can minister to the world. How many know that when your relationships are healthy, it affects the other areas of your living? 
When your own personal walk with the Lord is healthy, it affects other areas of your living. When our fellowship is healthy and we're staying on the right track, it's going to affect the way we minister to others. That's why this is so foundational. So in the 14th chapter of Romans, Paul gives us the correct way to handle disputable matters of conscience. These aren't matters of sin. If somebody's going out and just sinning and it goes direct violation of the word of God, the word of God speaks that. But these are just, these are just matters of conscience or conviction that, that aren't matters of sin. And the Roman Christians, what they were disputing about were practices that should be accepted and what practices shouldn't be accepted. And what was happening, depending on which camp you were in, you were being judged by what you did or didn't do. And so what happened? There's these two camps. What they're doing, and I'm going to explain what they, were, what they were arguing about. So one of the disputes was this. It sounds a little silly today, but this was a big deal back then, and I will contextualize it to what some of the things that we struggle with today. One of the disputes was eating meat, which was sold in the public market that could have been offered to idols that were in pagan temples that surrounded the market. This was a big deal to them. Some Christians avoided even the chance of eating meat that could have been offered to an idol. So what they did is they abstained altogether and they just ate vegetables. It wasn't because they were vegan. They just ate vegetables because they wanted to make sure, listen, I don't want to violate my conscience because this was offered up to wife. Oh, no, I don't want to violate my conscience. Yet another group didn't see a problem with this. So if you came over to someone's house and they had meat on the menu and you had a conviction about it, there was a big problem and the problem was judgment. This Christian would judge the other Christian. How could you have meat? That meat could have been offered up to idols. You sinner. How dare you? And so what Paul does is he addresses this. And I believe this is beautiful. I believe this, this, this is going to help you and us as a church to stay on the right track when it deals with our areas of conviction. Because I know a lot of you struggle with this. Because you have something that's burning in your heart, which is fine. And someone else may not completely agree with the disputable matter. And you're like, why can't you see what I see? Can you see what I see? Right? You just, they're like, why don't they see it? And then all of a sudden it becomes this heated argument, right? That has nothing to do with the essential of the gospel. It's just your conviction. So here's what Paul says. Paul starts out in Romans 14, 1 through 3. He says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat, feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. So what Paul is saying is, here's the disputable matter. Whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, you're not sinning. To one, he doesn't have a problem. To one that maybe is newer in the faith, and this is a big deal for them, they're not going to want to eat meat. So how do we deal with this without judging each other? So this is a disputable matter because the Bible doesn't give us clear direction here. And so this was a disputable matter. And so for us, we have these same disputable matters, whether it's music, it's dress, should someone have a tattoo, not have a tattoo, type of worship in the church, what version of the Bible is best. I only read King James. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's only, it's good enough for me, which is not true. It was written after the Apostle Paul, right? And we have these convictions. 
about what we shouldn't should do. And then what happens is we begin to judge other people based on these convictions of what they do or don't do. So when it comes to these matters that are not sin or in direct conflict with the Bible, what should we do? Paul stresses this. Don't judge your brother based on what he does or doesn't do or eat. If you are convicted by it, don't do it. But don't judge your brother if he eats meat and vice versa. Don't take your brother out who doesn't eat meat to five guys or the Brazilian steakhouse. I ate the Brazilian steakhouse about a while back in the summer. I'm still full, by the way. That place is just meat heaven. Okay, so don't, don't do that because you know it's going to offend your brother. This is something you do in private. So what does a healthy church do in these disputable matters? What does a church do to lead in love? How do we encourage each other? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 13. He says, so let us stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Here's where we go. Watch. Here's the deeper matter. The deeper matter is I take my conviction and I lay it aside as for the betterment of my brother. Notice how he says brother. He's talking about the church. How do we get along? He says, listen, lay that conviction down or that preference down as for the betterment of your brother. Care about him even more. See, what I love about this verse, it takes the finger pointing away and it causes me to care more about my fellow brother or sister. So if a brother, or so if this bothers you, I will not eat in front of you. I care about what's best for you. So if I'm going to have you over, I'm going to hide my meat in my freezer in my basement. All my venison meat, all my elk meat, all my buffalo meat, just meat carcasses. It's hidden away from me so I don't cause to offend you. Let, let, let's bring it to where we're living today. Are you ready? We're going to get some hate mail. So I'm just ready. I'll take it. All right. Let me just bring it to where we're living today. It is so politically charged right now. It's not even funny. And some people ask me, Pastor Barden, why don't you talk about political issues more often? I don't for this reason. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to speak and preach the gospel. Those disputable matters, I'm going to leave up to the Lord. So I would tell you, you stick to your convictions about who you vote for, who you do, whatever. But you're not going to hear it from the pulpit here. Now, when it comes to moral issues and things we need to address as a church, you better believe I'm going to address them. Because those are important. And those are things that, that impact us personally, how we're supposed to live our life before the world. I'm going to address those things. But when it comes to political issues, let me just say this. Keep it between yourself. If you know that it causes a brother or sister to stumble over those things, what Paul is saying is here, zip it. Keep it between yourself. Because what begins to happen, if we're not careful in this charged atmosphere that we're living in today, if it comes, listen, I'm talking about the body of Christ. When it comes into the body we can get so worked up about these things. 
that it causes division with those that may not agree with our political stance. And I'm not telling you not to have convictions about what you feel you need to have. That's fine. But be careful in who you're sharing this with. If you're with a brother that you know is mature and you can have this open conversation about it, then by all means, have an open conversation. But you know, if this is a huge thing that's just going to light fire, if you know if you're going to put something on Facebook and it's just going to light a bomb that goes off, I would tell you to pray about it. And I would tell you to be a good steward before the Lord. And I would tell you to think about your brother and sister before anything else. You see, we can argue over the dumbest stuff. But let me give you some practical stuff here. Let's not argue about style of worship anymore. Let's not argue about dress. Let's not argue about all these other things that we can all so easily argue about politics. All these things that we can so easily drag into a church. Listen, we all have our preferences and, and that's fine. And we all have our convictions about certain things. But I will be very careful. And if I mess up here, then you call me to account as your pastor. I'm going to be very careful from this pulpit not to preach my convictions. I will try. I'll mess up. Okay, I will. I'm just telling you right now. There may be a time I may say my opinion. But I will try to say this is my opinion. Right? But if I do, please, please call me on the carpet so that I can apologize. I want us to be gospel-centered people that care more about each other than our preferences. Paul addressing Timothy says a couple interesting things here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says this to Timothy. I love this. Timothy who's pastoring. He says, Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. If it's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. He goes on in the chapter to say, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. And here's how I love how Paul ends Romans 14. He says this, and I think this puts everything into perspective for us. He says this. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Don't tear apart the work of God by what political party you support. Don't tear apart the work of God for what you see as a preference in the church or whatever you think is important. Don't tear apart the work of God over the things. Remember, all food is acceptable. But if it's wrong to eat something that makes another person stumble, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else. If it causes another believer to stumble, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing but keep it between yourself and God. Wise, wise words. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you are sinning, if you go against and do it, for you are not following what? Your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Paul's saying, follow your convictions. Because if you go against your convictions, to you it's going to be sin. Follow your convictions. But if you have the freedom to do something, then don't flaunt your freedom in front of your brother as to cause them to stumble. They're not there yet. See, these last verses are the key to keeping health in our personal relationships and keeping health in our church. 
Now, what can we learn from Romans 14 regarding to keeping unity within the church? Here's what I love. Keep this in the front of your mind. And I believe we will stay on track of keeping spiritual health within our body. In our liberty, we could choose to do something. In our liberty, I could feel free to do that, to eat meat. I have no problem with that, but I know my brother's sister is going to stumble over that. But in my liberty, I choose to do something. But for the sake of our brothers or sisters, we will choose to lay that down as not to cause them to stumble. That's what Paul is saying. Care more about the unity of the body and your brother and sister and how you're caring for them. Let's take this to our preferences. We may lay our preferences down in order for the betterment of the unity of the church. I may not like this. This may not be my cup of tea, but for the sake of the body, I'm going to let this go. That I understand that I've laid my rights down at the foot of the cross. The worship may not be your thing at our church. But I'll tell you one thing. I love watching Ruth Brooks worship. She's one of our oldest members and she's one of our loudest singers. I know because I sit by her. I love watching her sing. Doesn't matter what. She's just singing to Jesus. That's what's most important because she's singing to Jesus. Not, not the style of music, but who we're singing to. That's what's most important. See, if we can understand Romans 14, we will be healthy. There'll be health in our church. Because love for each other will be our emblem. And that's what Paul is trying to stress. It's about the relationships with each other. And so listen to me closely. I'm not telling you to lay down your convictions or your personal pro- or things that you think are important. And that's fine. But what I'm saying is for the sake of the body, let's just lay some things down in order for the betterment of the body. And I know, listen, Every church has its own flavor and how it does certain things and living where it does certain things a certain way. And this is our preference. It is a preference, right? How we do things. And you may go to another church and it may be completely different. But this is, this is how God has called us to minister and, and to worship the Lord. But that doesn't mean our way is better than the other church down the street. Amen? God, God, isn't it great that God has flavor and he can use different methods to, 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 to preach the same gospel message? I love the different flavors in, in churches, you, you need to come on a mission trip with us and go to Central America because their worship is just loud. It's just, I thought it was a little louder in our church. I'm like, whoa, they are rocking out here. The louder, the better. That's when the spirit moves. The louder, the spirit moves more. Now. It's, it's just different. But you know what? They love Jesus. That's the culture. That's okay. They love shouting down the preacher. What do I mean by that? They just, amen, amen, shouting down the preacher. I like that. Shout me down. That's the culture. Some churches may be more quiet. That's fine. Doesn't mean they love Jesus any less. But here's what we say. Am I willing to lay down some of my things as for the betterment of the body? That's what Paul is saying. And if we have that in the forefront of our minds, we'll be on track. Christ will get the glory and our relationships will be healthy so that we can be well-equipped to spread the gospel to our world. Amen. And this is the thing. Is that close? This is the thing. You know, I'm 51 now, so you tend to, when you start to get 50, you know, you're, you're like, you're kind of looking back because you've got, I've got 28 years under my belt from, from pastoring. You kind of look back over your years and you're like, what kind of legacy would I want to leave? And here's the thing. Here's the thing that's most important to me. When I look back over Living Word, 
one of the things that I, I want to know with all my heart is that we did everything to be a healthy church, to focus on the gospel message, to let that thing be the thing that's paramount in our church and how we treat each other. That's the thing I want to look back over. That's the thing I want to say, God, that's what you did in Living Word so that we were well-equipped to reach others with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Here's the takeaway. Let's make it personal, and then we're going to close in song. Here's the takeaway. Who can I reach in my sphere of influence? Who are the people that are just around you that you can start praying for today? And the second thing is, have I picked up any preferences in my life that could become a stumbling block for others or even myself? Are there things in my life that, that are causing maybe a rift between a brother or a sister or something that I just know is, is not healthy for the building of the body of Christ? And I would say, if, if there are some relationships like that, to make it right and allow God to bring healing to that between the brothers and sisters within our church. So let me pray for you today. And then we're going to close in song today. And I just want to pray for our church as we move into 2018 that we will focus on these things, that we will continue to focus on these things, that this will be the heartbeat of living word. And these are things that we would pray about. You know, God, keep us focused on your word. God, keep us focused on your community, being community focused. God, keep us focused on missions as we keep reaching out to our community and our world. And God, keep us spiritually healthy in our relationships as we lay these things down at the cross and as we care about the betterment of our brothers and sisters. May these be the things that we focus on consistently in our body. So Lord, we just come before you. And God, I just pray that you would continue to lead our church in this next year. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for correction from your word. Lord, I just pray that God, you would just implement these things within our heart as we move forward as a body that, God, we would be so careful about our convictions and our preferences and that we would pray about how we deal with each other within the body of Christ, that there would become no division within us, God, but we would care about what leads others closer to you. So help us to do that, God. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, for accepting us. We thank you, Lord, for your growth in our hearts and our lives each and every day. So I thank you for this church, God. Bring healing, I pray, where there needs to be healing. Bring reconciliation where there needs to be reconciliation. And keep, us drawing clo- uh, keep drawing us closer to you, Jesus. So we thank you for your patience with us in our lives. We love you so much. We ask these things in your precious name.